Hi friends, I'm Kim Spangler. I'm here with Alabama Care and I've got my son Colby Spangler and Alex Bimes today. We're going to go over a few things about learning how to create your own team, your own supportive decision-making team, and we're going to learn about the life course tools and how those are involved in the process and a little about some long-term supports. So we're really excited to dig in and share some really valuable resources with families and caregivers. So I want to introduce my son. You're good. It's on. Okay. Hey, I am Colby. Hey, Colby. So we're back and we're excited to share with you a little bit more in depth about how we have created Colby's dream team and what that process looks like. So we're going to jump right in and I hope you're able to take away um, some valuable information, some good insight to this new approach. It's relatively new um, called team agreements and what that looks like. Um, in my opinion, it's a much more natural and organic way of providing support for your loved one who may have an intellectual or developmental disability and um, helps them to kind of live a as an independent and productive life as possible. Um, so I'm going to let Colby share a little bit about what his life has been like leading up to the creation of his dream team and what it's like now. And so take it away, Mr. Colby. I am in college at University of Alabama now. I am having fun and working hard. I am here to learn how to get in deep a good job yep. and how to live on my own one day. I want to be more independent and I don't want to live with my parents every day. <laughs> I have a dining and billies that I can make a different and I want to tear those gifts whatever one. Being a university of Alabama is like a ring come through for me. I have this race but it have not always been easy. That's right. It you love what you where you are now and you love what you're doing but it hasn't always been easy um that's very true when you realized when you were in band in high school and you realized that um all of your friends in band were planning to go to college after high school i remember the night re real clearly that we went to watch that end of the year band performance and at that performance when it was over all of the seniors remember, stood up on the stage and kind of announced where they were going to college. And you were only a freshman. That was your first year in band. And so you, the freshmen and the underclassmen were all sitting back with their parents listening to the seniors announce. And yeah. what was one of those, what I would call a defining moment in your life? You turned and you looked at me and you said, Mom, when am I going to go? Where am I going to go to college? When am I going to college? So that was impressive to me because it didn't, you weren't asking if you were going to go to college, you were asking when, right? So 
as I'm look, listening to you and watching all of your friends announce where they're going and you're asking me, where am I going? Um, that was one of those defining moments in your life. And I'm so glad that you asked it that way because you kind of took some things off the table that we had been considering. And I just kind of followed your lead and we started doing what everybody who starts looking into college and life after high school does. And we started touring colleges. Remember that? So we went and we looked at all these different colleges, um, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Clemson, University of South Alabama in Mobile. All of these different colleges had Think College programs. Um, we weren't really sure how we were gonna make that work. It really wasn't an expense we had planned on in your life. But when we realized that there was a will, a way, then you had the will, um, we ended up literally saying, Colby, which one is your favorite? Where do you want to go? And which one did you pick? University of Alabama. University of Alabama. And they had a Think College program. Um, and the process of doing that, not only were we kind of saving up a lot of money that um, we would need to help you get there, but we really started heavy heavily advocating um, through the school, with the school board, um, even at the state level um, about inclusion. And so once we finally got to your senior year after about three long hard years of advocating with you, then re we really started seeing some progress. So tell me about what that was like. Tell people that are watching right now a little bit more about how you're doing all of this. Okay, I see what people around me are doing, and I want to do it too. I think I can, so I want to try. Sometimes good people are around me and talk about way to help me to do what I see other people doing. They support my goals. One day, one way I can support is warm up students. Mm -hmm. Here, who are my mentors? I have a mentors who day with me, like Abbott Race Walker and Morgan Bush, who go to some classes and sit by me. They help me with homework and when it's time to study for my tests, they are my academic mentors. Mm -hmm. I take college level classes for college credits to learn Tip that one car education. Also in a turning called BYX. And my letters like Luke are big help with rise to chapter meetings in fun fence. Mm -hmm. I go to church off campus and the college leader Toad Wenham also helped me find my to church and small group meetings. Mm -hmm. 
when I was living in the dorm, if we have a morning, I called the RA to help me, but didn't really happen. A big part of how I do this is with my ring team. A big part of how you do that is with your dream team, right? So you just said a lot in all of that. Um, and I think what's important to mention here is that if you really think about it, you've got several smaller circles of support all around you while you're at college because you've got that circle of support that is your academic mentors, right, that help you with your classes. You've got that circle of support that is your fraternity brothers that support you with the social and recreational fun kind of stuff, right? And then you've got your circle of support that helps you with your spiritual growth and so even more social through church going on. And then even further than that, you've got the faculty and staff at the University of Alabama that kind of help you with the curriculum, right, and plan things. And then on top of that, you've got your dream team. So you're at a time in your life and a place in your life where you've got a lot of support all around you. And I'd like to think mom and dad support you a little bit too. So <clears throat> I think it's really important to note that it's become a very um, productive way for you to live with having this many natural supports, okay? And so <clears throat> all of these people on your dream team, all of these people at college, they all have a role to play in those supports. And so when we started, we already kind of knew we were gonna be doing the dream team before you went into college. But when we started to really look at what's that team gonna look like, who's gonna be on it, and how can they support you, we um, took some notes from a course I had been through called the Life Course Tools, and we kind of paid attention to what was already going on in your everyday life with your natural supports there. And we realized that we've got a lot going for us we really want to capitalize on right now. So you made history with being the first cohort at the University of Alabama, and that's a big deal. And then you turned around the next year and you did it again. You made history by being the first student at the University of Alabama by being inducted into a fraternity, right? With an intellectual disability, that's huge. And what was really impressive to me is that last year during COVID, you had a job that you brought with you to the University of Alabama. You had already secured it at home and you worked at Publix throughout COVID as an essential worker while you were managing your studies at school and making history. So kudos to you, that's pretty awesome. Okay. And I just wanted to kind of brag on you there and talk about all those different circles of support you have because um, it's definitely important to know that you've had a lot of people cheering you on in the process and supporting you, right? So. We're going to go into your dream team a little bit. We're going to talk about the life course tools. And I, I want before we talk about the life course tools in your dream team, I want to kind of mention that there's some key elements involved, um, some key supports. But first, let's let you go here, and then we'll talk about the three things that happen when you look at the life course tools. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. They are have a few 
And they... Who is they? Your dream team? Yeah. They all have a rude a role. and low. They help me with sentence I make in that part of my life. Once I have those people in my life who are so good at what they do, I ask them questions about it. They all meet with me just to talk. They sent send minis about my friends. They are my friends too. I get my... You get by? I get by with a little help with my friends. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's the perfect song to go with this. So <clears throat> when we look at the development of your dream team, we had to incorporate the life course tools. And the reason why is because they had already put everything out there and it was just so easy to pick up and run with, right? And so I highly encourage anybody watching and listening to Google the life course tools. And we're gonna go into it and talk about it a little bit to kind of touch on the basics here. But when you look at the life course tools, there's three things that you probably should keep in mind as you're reading through. And the first one is that there's an intentionality to everything. Um, it's not just something you do on the fly. It's not something that you um, can even attempt to do without seriously sitting down and thinking about it first. Um, you have to write down your goals on a piece of paper. You have to write down action steps toward those goals that you're gonna take. And you even have to write down a time frame as to when you expect to meet those goals. And I don't know who it was, but somebody, a researcher a long time ago said that you are five times more likely to reach your goals when you write them down and you write down the time frame that you think is appropriate for you to have met those goals. So that's what we did and we use the life course tools to do it. Um, and the other big idea behind using the, the life course tools is that you're building natural supports. And so, that's really important because it helps the person you're caring for or the person you care about to live a normal life, to live as close to normal as they can get. I call it, uh, call it the ordinary life, but it's, it's really um, important to look at, just like you did in band, what are the people around me doing? How close can I get my life to mirror what is expected and normal in society, right? So. The best way to do that is by building your natural supports. And that can take a long time, but it isn't hard to do, right? You just go out there and you be real intentional about it. Hey, I'm gonna go talk to this person on this day about these things, and we're going to brainstorm together about how we can support Colby, right? So building natural supports is a big part of it. And then the last part that we noticed that I didn't, we didn't even understand until we were done with it is that it's just an organic way for, for metacognition to occur, for you to think about what you're thinking about, for you to be always kind of aware in the back of your, your mind of what your goals are, what your plans are, and whether or not the steps that you take every day are getting you toward that, those end goals, right? And so that was kind of important going through is hanging on to those three big ideas. Um, so the first tool that we wanted to share with you is called the trajectory. 
And when you look um, on the screen, I hope you can see the tra trajectory, but the trajectory is basically um, you write, there's an arrow that goes diagonally across and you write on top of the trajectory the, the things that you want to accomplish. And at the bottom, you can see the little icons of the pictures of the different life stages. So if you are doing this for an infant child, then something that might be on their trajectory is a developmental milestone like crawling or walking, right? But if you're doing it for someone in high school who's transitioning into adulthood, then something that might be on the top of that trajectory is graduating from high school. So they don't have to be difficult. They don't have to be um, small. They can be big. They can be anywhere in between. They can be something specific or unique to you. But you try to write down the things that are goals to you in that age and stage, wherever you are, right? And then underneath the arrow, at the bottom of the arrow, you become real intentional about writing down the things you don't want to happen, right? So I remember yeah. it when we did your trajectory, we wrote at the bottom of that arrow, Colby does not want to sit at home after high school. Colby does not want to be in a day program after high school because you had already told us, I want to go to college, right? So that was one of the things we did not want to happen. And I think that's important because when you have the ideas of what you want, that's great. But if you're not really clear on what you don't want, you may not even realize from the day to day that those steps are leading you toward what you don't want unless you've labeled them and identified them, right? So another thing might be for um, somebody with medical concerns, we don't want to be in the hospital. So what are the small things? What kind of diet are we going to have? What kind of medication do we need to keep us out of the hospital? if that's something that you don't want. So that's an easy tool to use. And then the next one would be um, looking at the relationship mapping. So if you look, take a close look at the relationship mapping, all that does is kind of show you that there's some reciprocal roles involved that you have a lot to contribute to the people who support you and they have a lot to contribute to you. And that the main reason for that is so that we can kind of um, integrate those supports throughout your life because we don't want to have to um, make sure that all your supports are coming from paid supports or a service provider. Um, sometimes when that happens with service providers, it may unintentionally cause a barrier to occur between the person who needs the support and the family and the community if that's the only kind of support they're getting. So while paid supports and provider services are important and that might be part of something somebody needs, it doesn't necessarily have to be all of what they have because you can go out into the community, whether it's your family or church or neighbors or friends and develop more natural supports, right? And so <clears throat> those relationships become really important. And then you start listing who are the people who care for you and who are the people who care about you and talking about those differences. And you see the people that are really close to you and you see people you kind of just know, but you talk to every now and then. And then you see the people that are just associates that maybe it's somebody, for you it was people that you work with at Publix, right? Yeah. And so there's all of these different dynamics and levels involved and it becomes real important for you to kind of label and identify those roles and then you can kind of lay it out on a chart through the life course tools so that you have names 
and you have roles and you see where they contribute to you and you see how you contribute to them. And that's really important going forward so that you can talk about the actual kind of supports that you can give. Um, so you use the integrated support store. And this was really cool because with on the top, you start at the top with your personal um, <clears throat> abilities and your talents and all your gifts, you bring a lot to the table. And to have somebody sit down and write down what they contribute it's fun. That's a lot of fun to do because you'll come up with things you hadn't even thought of before if you really put your mind to it. And then you talk about the relationships and you list all the relationships that you have because you just did that, right? And then you go down and you talk about the elig eligibility specific kind of supports, your paid supports, the supports you can get from providers or services like government assistance, right? Everybody has those. Everybody qualifies for some kind of support somehow. And then you go around and you look at your community. What's out there? Where do you live? What kind of community networks are involved? Where can you connect with other people in a consistent way, right? Proximity and consistency, we talked about that. And what does that look like? So there's supports in everybody's community, somewhere, somehow, you just gotta think about what they are and where to get them. That might be YMCA, that might be a para program, that might be the guy you know at the bank. I mean, it just varies from one community to the next. And nowadays, we've advanced to the point where technology has become its own kind of support. Um, I know that when you move into your smart home, we are looking at getting you the device that goes on the back of your stove that will turn itself off in case somebody forgets to turn off the oven or the, or the burners right so um, you use your phone your iphone you use your ipad right you, you i use life 360 so that i can have some peace of mind when you're at college and i can see where you are know where you are we facetime each other a lot so those are all different kind of technological supports that people use and they're out there you just gotta see them identify them and maybe there's some more that you need Another fun thing to do with a support star is to kind of divide each section in half and look at, this is what I have now. This is what I might need in the future. So if you can take each of those sections and, and identify what you do have and then identify what you might need later, that kind of helps you to be even more intentional about where you're going in your day to day. All right. And then last but not least, we looked at the life domains. And so the life domains were really important because with all of the research that happened, everybody started to notice these were the things that everybody uses supports in every day in some way. So the first one with the little picture of the sunshine, the yellow one, everything's color coded too in the life course tool. So that makes it easy to use, but the sunshine picture with the calendar, that's your daily life. And we kind of created that with employment for you. But so we had to identify what are the things that you might need support with in your daily life and your employment. And then the other domain was living. What is your living situation going to look like? Community living, integrated living, independent living, right? So that's the brown one with the house on it. And then the next one was your social and recreational picture of the people in the group with their arms together like this, making sure that you're included 
with everything that's out there for you to be included with. Right now in college, it's books and church, right? So that you can be socially included and have lots of fun doing it. And then you had this little blue circle with the picture of the badge and the heart on it. That was your health. Because to be honest, a lot of all this can't really happen without your health, right? So we needed to really, really look at what kind of supports you needed to maintain your health and live in a healthy way and productive way. And then there's a red circle that's got a little picture of a badge with a person in the middle of it. And that is your safety and security supports. Just to make sure that people who have an intellectual disability, they might need someone like a representative payee to um, manage their funding with their money so that they don't get taken advantage of. Um, and then another one might be um, knowing what to click on and what not to click on when you're doing internet searches right or um, maybe it's something as simple as what kind of smart home technology would be important for this person to have or to use so having those kind of conversations about that subject and then last but not least we're looking at the last domain if i can get this to pull back up there it is and oh that's your engage your advocacy and engagement right because a lot of things we are still learning don't just happen on their own. You really, really have to speak up and self-advocate for yourself because a lot of people, while they may have the best of intentions, don't necessarily know that you might need a certain kind of support. And so it becomes really important to be engaged with your legislative actions going forward, with your voting process, your voting rights and talking to other people about what they can do to provide support for people like you, not just for you yourself, but everybody else out there, right? Who might have an intellectual or developmental disability. And so long story short, those um, life domains become very intentional as you look at them. And then when you can go back and you can do it all kinds of, I've seen teams developed lots of different ways. I've seen teams developed around the support star where you have where you have five people on a team and each person is over one of those sections of the support star. I've seen teams developed around the three buckets of support that are within the life course tools. You can go online and see more about those. What we chose to do was develop your team around those life domains because as we were looking at your level of functionality and what you wanted to do, we saw it as a really good way to fit the people that we already knew because they were good at certain things. So let's kind of talk about that and go through your team members one at a time. All right, so we finished the Life Course Tools activities. We started making your, your dream team. We put it together. That process didn't happen overnight. That, took, that whole process took about six months. It wasn't a quick fix. We didn't just say, okay, we want you to do this and you do that. It took about three months for us to determine who we wanted to be on your team. Lots of conversations about how you knew these people, how you felt about these people, and if you wanted them to be on your team, right? And then we had to actually go to these people, sit down and have conversations about what that would look like and if they would be willing, right? 
And so we did that. <clears throat> and so you tell me once we did that, where we were and how that worked and what it looked like when they decided, yes, we'll be on your team. Wait, right here. I'm just reading this one. I know, but we, uh, mom already did that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going through it faster than I should have, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I meet them for lunch at restaurant that is close to where I live. I drive my scooter there and read my ring team binder. Read talking about the freshness list in the chicken making tool warm itch command. They asked me the freshness and I answered them. We reboot a chat mark next to my answers. Most of my answers show them I can for myself, but there though a few answers I say I may need some port with. When I re-gag, re-talk about my calls and my net steps and I show them my new contributions page. It helped them think about all the things I am good at doing. I asked them if they need me to help them with anything. Sometimes they say yes, so I do. That's right. So you're literally going to lunch with your dream team members and you're meeting with them one-on-one -on -one about what their role is, right? And so then you're showing them what you can do and they're talking about ways they can support you. And there's a list that you check. There's a literal list within the life course tools that you check off. I can do this. I might need help with that. I can't do this by myself at all, right? And so they kind of get an idea of where you are, where you might need support. And then you talk about those things that you might need support with and how they can support you. And so you just finished meeting with several of your dream team members at lunch. You rode your scooter right down two the street. More. You got two more to go. That's right. And y'all all talked about, you went through your binder, your dream team binder, and you talked about, here's where I am. Here's what I can do. Here's what I might need help with right so that process is not hard it just takes some intentionality and some time to do all right good job so when you got done with that i want you to tell us whether or not you like this process because we're two and a half years in now we're going into your third year since we started all of this of your uh, dream team so you tell me how you feel yes about it. i like it and i am while we did it can we show everyone who is my team what we do i want them to to talk to yeah very good sounds like a plan colby next time we meet we'll introduce your team members 
to everybody watching and listening. We'll let them talk to you about how they do what they do. Um, we just happen to know somebody like Miss Heidi. She's an ER nurse and she's known you all your life and she's really good at what she does. She's been doing it for years. Um, who we thought that would be the perfect fit for the role of healthy living. And that could be applied to every person on your dream team. So I know you don't know this yet because dream teams haven't really found their way out into the world yet. You're kind of a pioneer in that too. But when you look back 10 years from now, I think you're gonna be able to look at the people on your team and be like, wow, I've got a really great team of people. Um, you're really lucky about who's on your team and how they are experts in those different life domains. All right, so let's do that next time. Sound like a plan? Okay, see you next time. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Thank you, Colby. Uh, first of all, I'd, I'd like to say uh, I'm really looking forward to that broadcast, Colby, uh, introducing your team members there. That's going to be a pretty cool one uh, to, to walk everybody through who's on your team. Uh, and congratulations on today and sharing more of your story and the life course tools. So awesome job, dude. So one of the things I wanted to do is try to highlight the similarities and kind of compare and contrast the difference between what you're doing with Bridget and what we're trying to do with Colby because um, I think there's a lot that they have in common there and so being the good mom I'm trying to be I wanted to make sure I had really um, learned about all of his different options available and um, what that looked like so I realized there's this whole other thing out there that you're doing with Bridget and it's very close to what we're doing with Colby but it it is a little bit different and so I wanted to talk to you about that mm -hmm. um, Sometimes when people are looking into this, they realize guardianship becomes an issue and then they have to make a decision. Is this person that I'm supporting somebody who is really and truly in need of someone to be their guardian or are they not? And so with Bridget, y'all decided she would need her own guardian, right? Yeah, that's correct. And it was... Um I, I think that guardianship was very uh, early on in her life. Um, and then uh, my, my grandfather was her guardian, who is her father. Um, and then when they moved to the state of Alabama in 1990, um, they moved to McCalla and my aunt moved into Partlow Institution. And we had to, the, my grandfather had to get uh, guardianship for the state of Alabama and transfer that. Um, and I've had conversations with him about that. Um, there are certain restrictions to her guardianship. Um, like, is she able to vote? And under her restrictions right now, she's not able to vote. And so my question to my grandfather is why, you know, why did you restrict that right as her guardian? Um, and we had a deep conversation about it. And in the end, he felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, that if she were to cast a vote, it would be somebody else telling her how to cast a vote. And she wouldn't quite grasp that. So it would be someone taking advantage of her. So things like that. Um, and then you know, me coming here uh, in, two th in 2016 and training under my grandfather and having these conversations with him, um, you know, he asked me and I agreed to continue on the current guardianship that he had. Uh, and, and basically he wanted me to continue doing exactly what he was doing there. And, and I agreed that we would, we would keep it consistent for her. So yes, I, uh, there's guardianship that her father had and he passed away a few years ago, uh, in 2018. And I assumed asked the courts for guardianship at that point, And, uh, they transferred guardianship to me.
What, tell me a little bit about that. What did that look like when you actually went into the courtroom? Um, so uh, we worked with uh, Carney Dye Associates, who we have on the broadcast quite frequently. Um, and I said, hey, I've never been through this before. I have the letters of guardianship that were originally given to my grandfather by the state uh, of Alabama and the judges, the probate. Um, and that was actually through Tuscaloosa County because of Partlow being in Tusco Tuscaloosa County. Um, and you know, so I, we have this documentation and we are looking to get the guardianship transferred and they kind of walked me through it. And I think I met with them for maybe a couple hours, uh, more over the phone and they did all the paperwork. Uh, the judge saw it and he said, we already had guardianship established. Right. We already have somebody in the family that's you know willing to take that over. And so it was a pretty easy transfer of guardianship for her um, to make sure it stayed there. So. so that was just one day in court. Right. I don't know how long it took them, but I'm, I'm, yeah, it was probably like one day in court for them. Okay. But from my perspective, you know, they've been very good. Um, a lot of conversations over the phone and just kind of emails back and forth. Right. So from what I understand, it was your grandfather that wanted to set things up for Bridget this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you mentioned that you had kind of come along and trained with him. Tell us a little bit about um, what that looked like, how you were learning about Bridget and then Bridget's life um, from there, from that point on. Um, so I came to the state in, in November 2016 and um, started training with my grandfather. And what that really means is, you know, I would come down during the summers and every year and I would, I would visit my grandparents and my aunt Bridget would come back to the house and we'd have like dinners together, you know, spend time together. But I didn't really... You know, I'm I'm 34 now. She's 57. So what's that? 23 years, right there. So we had a little bit of a gap there, um, and I didn't didn't really get to know her very well. Like I knew she was my aunt, my right. family member coming down for just a week. So part of my first onboarding in helping you know continue her long term care was to spend More a lot time. of time with her, being over at her place all day, all night seeing exactly how she lived, going on community outings. So just really spending a lot of time with her. So that was you the are just thing. intentional about observing, it sounds like. Yeah, and trying to, be, and having her get to know me. So if I'm supposed to be the person that's going to replace her father in that role in her life, she's got to be able to trust me. So right. I want her to make sure that I'm a trustworthy person, that whenever she's in my company, good things are going to happen. Um, so I wanted to establish that relationship early, and that meant spending a lot of time with her. Whether that, you know, there are certain things throughout her day where she really has to have somebody that's reliable with her um, because she feels uneasy. One of those things are when she's transferring from like the car to a wheelchair. Now, during that time, it's very hard for her to support herself. She relies a lot on somebody to be there. So when I first came here, I was recognizing those situations where she's a little uncomfortable and seeing if, and, and me stepping in and supporting her during that, just to make that physical, emotional connection that she knows I'm around, she, I, I can be you know counted on. Mm -hmm. So trying to create that from the start and spending a lot of time with her. That kind of goes back to the reciprocal roles that I was talking about within the life course tools, because that's incredibly important um, to know that there are things that you're going to be contributing to Bridget because you care for her and about her. But then there's also things that Bridget will contribute to you um, in that relationship. So tell us a little bit about how Bridget contributes. Um, to me personally, she's um, opened my eyes just to, 
I think a lot of people, when I first came and, and I read the diagnosis and all what the doctors were saying, um, it was kind of a limited view from the outside of what Bridget can accomplish, um, what she understands, those types of things. And when I started to spend more time with her, I started to get to know her personality a little bit. Like she's a jokester. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times when I've been at the house um, and I'll walk out the back deck and her favorite place in the house is to sit in her chair. Nobody else sits in the chair, but it's kind of by the back door. And I'll walk on the back door. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll be looking at the flowers or just checking out the backyard to make sure it's up to par. And I'll turn around come back inside the house and the door is locked. So she's totally <laughs> turned around in her chair, locked me out. I'll look through the window and she is just bawling laughing. <laughs> You know, so then I got to walk around to the front or to the garage That's and get crazy. back in the house. Um, so it really opened my eyes to like who Bridget is and, and what she's capable of. And yeah. and then kind of got mad at the doctors a little bit, you know. And and so that was always one of the first things. Whenever she meets new people, um, you know, one of the first things I'm out is she's smart. She knows what you're saying. Mm-hmm. She may not be able to communicate it, but she knows what's going on. And a lot of times when she gets frustrated, it's because she feels like people don't give her that credit and don't involve her in, in the things that she's doing. Sure. So uh, that it kind of opened my mind in that way. And then, you know, for people that I meet, um, it, it's like, let's just have a normal conversation and see where this goes. So trying not to come into any conversation or relationship with um, pre, pre, you know, pre-concerns or anything like that. Yeah, but and then presuming competence in the process. Yeah, presuming competence. I like that that word, that phrase there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's something that, uh, you know, and I, I think she's a, um, a light in everybody's life that she's involved in. For sure, and I think that can be said of a lot of people um, that we meet along the way who might have an intellectual developmental disability. Um, I, we spent, I, I can't speak for my husband, but I spent many, many years being upset with doctors and being upset with professionals who would label and prescribe and diagnose. Um, Because in my opinion, when you get those kind of things written onto a piece of paper and then you present them to somebody who hasn't met that person, it really limits their expectations. And... So I've tried really, really hard throughout the years to stop doing that. Um, I remember when Colby was little, when we would walk into a new environment, I would become really nervous about how he would be perceived or received by the people there. And so I would go in front of him and I would say, here's my son Colby and Colby has special needs. I wasn't even picking up on the fact how much he hated that. In my eyes, I was trying to protect him and get him involved and included, but I was already labeling him before they had ever had the chance to meet him. And so that experience you've had with Bridget is probably something every parent out there has experienced and um, or guardian. And it's really important going forward that we all try to presume competence and don't put that label on them right away. Mm-hmm. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, I think that it opens more doors when you don't. And I, I think uh, we're kind of getting away from the, the labeling a little bit. I think with the I language so. we're, we're using so. uh, and as it's evolving and even, you know, through the documentation that we use, the person-centered planning, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that language is a lot more, like I said, person-centered. 
Um, and it doesn't really start off with this is the diagnosis. So I think as a, as a, as a whole, as a community, as a society, we're making a lot of good progress in that. Uh, so it's pretty cool there. I agree. So tell me real quick, when your grandparents decided that it was time to do this and they came to you, why they decided to do what they did with Bridget's home and who lives with Bridget and what her home looks like, how it operates. Sure. Um, so at the time, my aunt was in Partlow and my grandfather was the head of the Parents Association for Partlow members. Uh, Partlow families. And I'm not sure how that discussion worked, but, you know, it, my grandfather actually did not want the institutions to be shut down. Um, that was something that he fought for. He thought that Partlow should stay up and running. And, you know, I'm very glad that Partlow is not up and running today. And I think a lot of people have the same view there. But in the beginning, uh, he was very much for Partlow. And um, so when it came down that you know, we were no longer going to have institutions in Alabama, then it becomes, well, what does that look like for Bridget? Um, and we had a few options at that time. You know, you could move the son or daughter or, or family member can move back into the home with the parents. And they were aging, you know, at that time. Uh, and it was very hard for them to, to be able to grasp that concept right. with the, the, the service and the support that Bridget needs. And then another, um, possibility was to go into a group home or a, another provider in the state. And we have great providers in the state of Alabama. Um, I'm not sure how many we have, actually. I don't know if it's like 100 or 300. I couldn't put a number on that. It's about 100. It's about I know 100. that. Um, I'm not sure the exact number, but and yeah, we do. They vary from size. Some of our single single homes where they serve you know, one to three people, and some of them are very large. Um, where they serve a significant population of the area. But we've, I think we have great providers in the state of Alabama. So that was an option for them. Um, you know, would Bridget be served in a provider? Um, and I think that at that time they were, they were saying, look, we, we can't support Bridget at home. And we, we, she's going to have to be served through a provider. Um, in the end, we think that we know what's best for Bridget and, you know, help her figure out those things. Um, so we're going to become kind of a provider for her. And so they went through the process um, with the state and they got certified, went through the classes, became a certified provider. And that's what Bridget's Home Inc. is. Um, it's, it's a contracting entity um, that contracts with the state to provide services for Bridget. Okay. <clears throat> so that's interesting. So they didn't want her to go into another home, so they created her own home. Mm -hmm. basically. Um, how does she get supports? The supports that come into Bridget's home, how does that work? Like, is there, so I know there's more than one person, but is there a waiver service provided? Does that work through the waiver? How does, what does that look like? Um, so she's on the ID waiver. Is that, that's okay. right. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a number of services that are provided through the waiver. Uh, and actually brought a list here. Just you know, this is a little bit older list. This is from 2015, but um, kind of rattle them off here. So on the ID waiver, the services provided are like residential habilitation, uh, residential habilitation, other living arrangements, day hab, day hab, transportation, pre-vocational services, supported employment, individual job coaching, job development, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, physical therapy, behavioral therapy, in-home respite care, out-of-home out respite care, institutional respite care, personal care, personal care on worksite, 
personal care transportation, environmental accessibility, uh, specialized medical equipments, medical supplies, skilled nursing, adult companion services, crisis intervention, and community specialists. So there's quite a bit of services that are available under that uh, waiver there. But the state has, you know, the END waiver, the ID waiver, the living at home waiver, um, the sale waiver, um, and uh, we have a, a few others since 2015. Self-directed. Self-directed, yes. Yeah. And self-directed actually at 2015 looks like fell under the ID waiver. We're getting there. We're, we're trying to change that, but yeah. Um, so the so these are the services, and I think this is really important. Um, you know, you'll see families, or I'll meet families that say, "Well, my son or my daughter needs these services in order to achieve what they want to in life," and that really comes back to the state's going to say, "Yes, we agree with you. Your son or daughter, your loved one, definitely needs the supports what they what they want to achieve in life." And then the state's going to say, "But what do they want to do? We need documentation," mm -hmm. and that always goes back for us to the person center plan. Um, you know, what goals does Bridget have for the next 12 years? How, how does that look like on the daily and the weekly basis? What, what does she need to accomplish that? Writing all of that into the plan and then asking the state saying, hey, in order to live her best life, these are the waivers that we believe uh, the state should, should give her so that we can support her uh, in doing that. Does that that I hope that answers Yeah, somewhat. that makes total sense. So when, what I want to see is how that translates. I want to try to wrap my head around how that translates in Bridget's day-to-day -day at her home. So if this is the waiver she's on and these are the services that she's provided, what does it look like in the home? So um, in the home, we have personal care throughout the day, uh, kind of on and off. And then we go back to in-home habilitation where she is um, practicing her goals throughout the day. Um, and she has, we just did our PC, she just did her P, uh, personal uh, center planning in, in the month of June. So we'll be, and she'll start on her new goals in July. Um, but we go back and forth. She goes back and forth between personal care and training inside the home when she's there. Um, and those kind of fall under those two waivers for personal care and in-home habilitation. So we, we break that up during the day that she'll be working on her goals as we all should be for a certain amount of time during the day, whether that's two hours before lunch or something like that. And we can take that documentation and you know we have to record all of those goals and how she's doing. But back to the state and say, during this time, she is you know working on these goals that relates to uh, in-home habilitation or you know Resola or, or whatever we're going to call it now but does that is that kind of how that breaks down or yeah and who so do you do all this by yourself no there's no way that um i could do that there's no i i don't i don't know how my grandmother did it for 14 years um and for moms and other caregivers out there that don't have support um the stories that i've heard i, I my heart goes out to you um you know, and I know you're looking for support in the community, and I think we have a great community here in, in Alabama, but a lot of it does rest on the shoulders of the parents, especially in the beginning. So what if you were the parent and you, because you've experienced this yourself now, what would you tell another parent as far as who do you look for? <laughs> but I know y'all bring people in to the home for, with Bridget. Mm -hmm. How do you find them? What do you look for? And who are those people? Not by name, yeah. but 
what is their role? Um, so Bridget has 24 hour supports. Um, she needs them. She lives in a home by herself. Um, so someone needs to be with her at all hours. And so what that means for BHI, Bridget's Home Inc is we have to hire caregivers for her around the clock. So we have a team of three that kind of throughout the week transition there um, and make sure that someone's with her at all times. But um, it's tough finding great caregivers. Something I will say is kind of a, a culture that my grandparents put in is spending a lot of time with the caregivers, especially up front mm -hmm. and supporting them, um, you know, in the right ways. Um, for us, we, someone that's been with Bridget for 15 going on 16 years now. Um, wow. And that's, she has total trust in that caregiver. Uh, and I think it goes well beyond the caregiving relationship. Uh, they, I think they truly care for one another. For that many years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you have to be invested emotionally uh, into a relationship for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some other caregivers that have been with Bridget have been with her for seven years, you know, six years. That's impressive. Yeah. And it so really is. Uh, I'll put that on my grandparents of creating that culture of giving the support to the caregiver, but also being quick to find the right people. So you're going to... The hiring never goes away from a provider right, standpoint. Right. You're always going to have to, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to move. Mm -hmm. some, somebody's going to retire. You're always going to have to find people. Um, the way that we do it, we used to do it, the best luck we ever got was in the newspaper. Back when really? newspapers were kind of a big thing. But now I, circulation is, is very down. Right. And a lot of people are more online. So we use, you know, Indeed kind of services. Okay. Um, we'll use Craigslist if we have to. Now, there are some other good ones through Alabama that cost a little bit more. Um, what is so it? you're AL. literally going out and putting ads in. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. 100%. And we'll do this quarterly. I'll throw an ad out quarterly, even if I'm not planning on, even if I don't have a crisis where I have to hire somebody. Because if I come across somebody that is great, I want you them want on the them team. In. Yeah. Because, you know, they could be with Bridget for another 15 years. And that's what Bridget wants. That's very proactive. I I think that's really smart because a lot of what I see happens because their people are may be not as proactive and they're more reactive to a situation and then you're kind of stuck. So that's a really proactive approach. Um, I have a list of probably 20 to 30 emails of people that have applied for jobs in the past and I haven't reached out to them yet because I've found somebody, but I keep in my back pocket if I need somebody quick. Right. Um, or if I find somebody that's great, I'll call them. And even though I don't plan on replacing somebody, I'll call them in just so we have a face-to-face -face meeting and we know each other. So if I do give them a call, hey, would you still be interested in this position? They know who we are. Yeah. So it's constantly like reaching out to people, meeting with people. I, I won't necessarily have them meet Bridget because I don't think that's necessary until we get to the so further you know, steps. You, yeah. Exactly. But um, yeah, that all falls on us. And it's a big, yeah, any provider, you have to do the hiring and the training. But I think one thing for um, like families, if you're having somebody come into the home, I think there's a little bit of disconnect there. Um, so normally you'll have an agency that will send somebody, a caregiver to the home. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times families or individuals feel like they're already going to be trained on everything that needs to happen. Um, and so it's kind of like, okay, that caregiver is here. I can go do these other things or I, I can focus on something else as a parent. Um, and I think it's really important that 
you know, nobody knows how to take care of your loved one or yourself uh, as much as you do. Right. And so when that caregiver or somebody new comes into the home, spend a ton of time with them. Get to know them very well, um, but also train them very well how to take care of you or your loved one there and really spend a lot of time with them. And another thing that, you know, I would say is a tool in your pocket there is to have a schedule for that time that caregiver is supposed to be there. Have a schedule that's broken out throughout the day because it's a cheat sheet for you to train and hold the caregiver accountable, but it's also a cheat sheet for the caregiver to stay on track. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, if I go over to Bridget's house and I see somebody three times in a row, the same person on their phone sitting in the same location, that's a direct that's, indicator yeah. for me. You're not doing the right thing. That's things. not the schedule. <laughs> You're not in, yeah, exactly. It's, it's 10, 15. What right. are you supposed to be doing here? Um, and you got to be quick to, to replace that person at that point. Yeah. So, so there's a tool in the life course tools that is a daily schedule. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned that everything was color coded through the domains and the support star. But when you look at a daily schedule, you can go online and see that tool. And if the person that you're caring for only has one or two colors every day, there's something wrong. Yeah. If you color code it the way that they show you to and your daily schedule is filled with color, then you're touching on each different kind of support need like we all have and you're doing well. So the more colorful their daily schedule is, the better off they are. I like the color code there. That's pretty cool. It's a really great visual to be able to look and see, is this person truly getting all of the supports they need throughout any given day? And, and to have the caregiver documented is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to do that to hold them accountable. Uh, the life course tool, it sounds like it's online. So you can go online mm-hmm. and just see it. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. So it, even if you're not there at the physical location, you don't have to check. You can log on your phone anytime during the day and see how the progress throughout the day is going. Right. Now, we did talk about that a little bit. The digital. The digital yeah. stuff. Um, and I know a lot of uh, other providers are, you know, want the the information throughout the day to be written down as it's happening. Mm-hmm. We kind of feel that yes, we want the information, but does that when they're going to the computer, they're going to the worksheet and writing down every ten or ten minutes, fifteen minutes, an hour? Does that take time and attention away from Bridget for us? Right. And we kind of feel like it does, so we don't encourage. Um, you know, the caregiver to run downstairs and get on the computer if she's using the bathroom and she has a successful whatever goal that is. Right. Um, you know, hold off on that. Maybe do that while she's eating lunch. You know, wait a little bit or wait till the shift change over and right. put all your information in. Right. So I'm going to take that a step further and look at it the way we would look at it with Colby. Um, as Colby goes out into the community or when he's on campus at the University of Alabama, if the people who were supporting him were walking around logging information into the phone about what they were doing and goals he was meeting, then what are they not doing while they're out in the community? Or if they had a clipboard and a piece of paper, it would look real clinical Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't look normal or natural. And so it kind of takes away from the goals that he's trying to achieve if you've got somebody constantly sitting there writing down every movie makes right so now it's tough and that um you know we we i know we have to document stuff um especially evv stuff that's coming out where the caregivers have to log in when they're on gps location and so uh, it's important uh for the state and the federal government to make sure that the providers and the caregivers are doing their job and it's just trying to find a balance that happy medium yeah, yeah it's trying to find a balance and i'll talk to 
you know, other families um, or individuals that are getting very frustrated. They feel like, you know, they've been knocking on doors or can't get answers or, you know, it's just kind of tough to navigate. And I say, yes, I've, and first thing, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to claim to go through those specific emotions, but there are frustrations that we all have in life. Um, But I think at the end of the day, the people that are at these agencies or, or state organizations, federal organizations, community businesses that are serving our loved ones or ourselves. I don't think anybody wakes up thinking, I don't want to have a positive uh, interaction with the people I serve. Sure. I sure. don't want them to succeed. Um, so I think if we just take a step back, like, I know you want to help me succeed. How do we come to neutral ground here? How can we figure that out together? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And the state and, and the agencies, um, they want everybody that's being served to wake up with a smile and to smile and laugh throughout the day. Now and it's to very be successful, yeah. And to, and to be successful. Now I don't have those days. I, you know, there's days throughout my day, times throughout my day when I get frustrated. But the the, the people that are serving uh, us or or the family members, they want that success, and it's just trying to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. They want to help you, but sometimes it, it's you know it's tough to get there. The intentional collaboration becomes. Real important. Yes. So what, when you were doing this with Bridget and you were going through the hiring process and you were figuring out what services and supports Bridget would require, um, what else could she do? What sticks out in your mind as far as why this is the perfect setup or the best um, environment for Bridget? What do you think, if you could tell anybody else, we appreciate being able to do it this way because. Well, I think it goes back to my grandfather too. Why, why do this set up for her as opposed to having her live um, in another provider setting? Um, and I think, I think for him, it was kind of the long-term success, the possibility there. It's tough to, you know, we've talked about articles that have gone around where, you know, providers in a different state are closing. Mm-hmm. And then you have individuals that are being served there that don't have anywhere to go. Maybe the other providers don't have room. And so kind of from that standpoint, I think the thinking for my grandparents at the time was if we do this and we do this right, we'll never have to worry that Bridget will be out on her own or that she'll have to go through some big transition. Um, And I think that's where they kind of started from. And since I've been here in 2016, I don't have a lot of experience with other providers, but I know my aunt is very happy where she is. She loves where she is. She loves the people around her. Um, and I think she'd be pretty irritated if she were to be put in another environment that she has been you know, having a great time for the last 15 years. I will say one story that my grandparents shared with me is coming from Partlow. Um, she had been uh, receiving services at this location for about six months before um, Christmas. And so they really found out that Bridget was taking like, okay, this is my space now. This is this is where I live. I'm not sharing this with other people like at Partlow or, or anything like that. She came down and there were presents under the tree during Christmas. And her first thing was she kind of looked around, you know, at everybody to see if anyone would be like, no, you can't do that. And you know, they, they were like, Bridget, this is this is your place. These are your presents. This is your Christmas tree. 
and she ran over there she she used her um you know kind of walkers got over there and started opening the presents on her own and that was kind of a big thing for her like nobody's gonna like I, this is my place mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing so it was an ownership for her like okay cool um but i uh yeah i think that they had the right idea it's a it may not it's not the best um in you know situation for every individual or family but i think it it worked out well for my my family and bridget it sounds like she's got a lot of um, ownership involved. It sounds like she's got a lot of choices that she's able to make within that environment that she may not have had um, in a place like Partlow. And so I can see her embracing it and doing well. And I, I would love to be able to see um, more people be able to take advantage of the way y'all are doing this for Bridget. So. If somebody wanted to do what y'all are doing, can you give us like a set of bullet points um, of a, a how-to, Got you gotta go and do this first, which I guess would be the guardianship? Well, no, uh, I mean, I don't uh, I don't think it has, it would do anything with the guardianship. The first thing is, you know, the fundamentals, I would really, I would do the life course tools that you guys are doing. Well, yeah. I would do the, the self-directed um, uh, teams. I would do the teams. Okay. Um, supported decision-making teams. I would build these concrete blocks because no matter what the environment or no matter where you're living, you have these core things that you can fall back on. Like if you have a su- supported decision-making team, no matter if you're living in Hoover or if you're living in Vestavia or if you're right. living in Auburn, you have that core. That's a building block that can be with you forever. So I would start there um, with everything that you guys are doing. Um, and then I would also go to the uh, person-centered plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would start there with building what that day looks like, the goals, um, so that you have these tools to help the state make a decision about what type of, of waivers are available. Um, and then, you know, if you did decide that you wanted to be a provider, there are classes through the state um, that you would have to sign up for. Uh, you'd have to take some tests. And I haven't done this personally. This is when we first opened up in 2005. Um, so I've never taken a course. Uh, it'd probably be a good thing for me to do, but uh, I know that these are available through ADMH and you can go to these classes, you uh, take the test, and even though you become certified, doesn't necessarily they have a, a few like, just because you become certified doesn't mean that you're gonna receive right. individuals that you can serve. Um, but yeah, that's that's I would start with the groundwork that you guys are all doing right now. Um, and then I'd go to the person-centered plan, I'd build off of that and I'd have like a plan to present to the state for it. These are the services we believe will help our loved one live their best life. And then if you wanted to go from there, um, you could try and become a provider. So getting your loved one onto the waiting list for the, uh, the waiver services, right? Would have to be a part of it, I would assume. Yeah. And that's something I kind of <laughs> skipped over because I, <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, she was already on the waiver exactly. when you came in. Yeah, so I didn't have experience getting on the waiver, and I know there is a list. Um, I think we're trying to, to greatly expand that as a state, right. uh, and we're looking. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Um, <clears throat> but I think um, I think that can also you you can have a good relationship with the, with the individuals. 
<clears throat> from the state, right. like you need to have a good relationship with your case manager. They're the person that's going to introduce these waivers opportunities to, you know, the higher ups in the state and say, you know, is this individual going to be eligible for this? So do you get a case manager before you are assigned a waiver or only after? That I don't know. I'll that's a to, good question. I'll have to look that up. Um, and <clears throat> Bridget's case manager has been with her for about five years now. So we have a, you know, she calls me, I text her, okay. email. We have a good relationship there. I think it's important for the individual to have that relationship. Sure. And there, you know, I would say even the case manager could be part of that self-directed uh, team, or not self-directed, um, supported decision-making team. So when the support, well, I say case manager, you might hear the word support coordinator come mm -hmm. in, but when that person comes in and you present, here's their person-centered plan, these are the supports and services we are requesting for this person, and you move forward, <clears throat> you're trying to get it as close to normal as possible. That's why that support coordinator becomes so important mm -hmm. um, because they know what's out there. They know what's available. You may or may not, right? And so that relationship is gold. Yeah, they're, they're your link to knowing what's out there. Mm -hmm. the, the, the jargon that, you know, is waivers, uh, they're your link to that. So, yeah, you know. Bring them a gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sit down for coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, spend some time with them. Awesome. All right. So one last thing is you are, um, you know, Alabama's under the home and community-based services and trying to get more people out into the community. Um, as you go with Bridget out into the community, what, did, what would that look like with Bridget? Who goes with her? How does she make those um, connections to build up more of her natural supports? Um, so the, the natural supports, uh, her, especially in the last year, her natural supports have been really the caregiving staff and family just because of COVID. Right. Um, before that, we used to go or she used to go to um, United Ability, okay. um, which was uh, UCP of Birmingham mm -hmm. um, and received some uh, occupational and physical therapy there. And she would visit with, you know, other people that were in the Dayhab program there. Um, she does have a good friend that uh, she'll see at United Ability when she goes in there. It's not very often anymore. We've kind of transitioned into Lakeshore. Um, but so she had some friends through there. Um, we're working on getting her more friends through Lakeshore. One of the things that I think is really cool is when she'll go into the pool. And again, we're, we haven't done this because of uh, COVID in the last year. <clears throat> but when she goes in for her pool workout, there's a point of that workout where she'll sit by herself on kind of a, a little stool in the pool. This is a big pool, Lakeshore is a huge pool. Um, and the caregiver that's with her will put down these little steps that kind of sink to the bottom of the pool. And part of her workout routine, she has trouble on her left side picking up her left leg. Mm -hmm. So is getting that left leg up onto those platforms and getting down, stepping down, then stepping up on the next one. So kind of getting those muscles going in the pool for her. When the caregiver is putting those down, there's a little bit of time where Bridget's kind of by herself and she needs help uh, kind of sturdying herself. Mm -hmm. So that's a very big thing for when I go to train the caregivers about the pool is like, how are we going to utilize the people around Bridget? And what does that give an opportunity for? There are other people that are sitting on that stool and they're, just, you know, maybe they got done their workout and they got a jet on their back. Bridget loves jets. She, they got a jet on their back. And these are people that Bridget's seen week after week. And we noticed this before COVID week after week because they're there at the same time. Right. 
And so they're familiar with Bridget. Bridget's seen them before. And it's like, hey, Bridget's going to sit here um, on this stool. And it's a big stool that wraps around. There's probably four or five other people there. Uh, I'm going to put these uh, you know, little bridges up on the bottom of the pool. It's going to take me 30 seconds. Would you mind sitting next to my aunt and just being here for her to give her a little support? Everyone's, I'll do it. I'll do, and and I'll go and I'll 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 get the little ramps and I'll look over. They're just how you doing today? Yeah, you know those kinds of things. So and we, they're not paid supports. They're people who happen these to are people be that there, go right? go to Lakeshore. Yeah. You know, and they're doing a workout. And it's like, hey, would you guys mind? This is my aunt Bridget. We're we're doing a workout too. Would you guys mind just sitting next to her, maybe butting up a little bit on her shoulder so she doesn't tend to lean into the water? And they love it. She, Bridget loves it. Yeah. And, and one thing about Bridget is it, it's hard for her to hold her head up. So her communication style, she's interacting with you is she'll give you good eye contact. Mm -hmm. So I'll look over out of the corner of my eye to, to observe that. If she's looking down in a way, I understand that she's not enjoying this interaction. Maybe this isn't a good idea to, to introduce new uh, natural supports. But if she's looking up and she's giving eye contact and she's nodding her head a little bit, like shit, she's comfortable here. She's enjoying what's going on. So we'll try and enhance situations like that. It's been tough in the last year. Um, a lot of her other supports are through uh, her long-term caregivers' families. Okay. So, uh, you know, Bobby's been with Bridget for 15 years and all of Bobby's family knows Bridget. Bobby has grandkids cool. that Bridget enjoys being around, playing with, so it's playing like with toys. it's an extended family for exactly. Bridget, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an extended, it's a great way to put it. It's extended family for Bridget. Um, and as, as we come out of lockdown here and the pandemic, um, you know, we're always looking for ways to do that. And I, I appreciate you asking the question because I think we, and I kind of said, um, you know, I like to go out and, and do stuff with other people, whether that's uh, I'm going to go shopping or mm -hmm. go eat and stuff like that. And I think for Bridget to have somebody that she could do that a couple times a month with on a regular basis, maybe that would be linking up with another family mm -hmm. uh, or, or whatever that looks like. But to have someone consistent because, you know, girls like to go shopping together. Right. My aunt's like every other woman. She's 57. She's about to be 57. She likes to do these things. Mm -hmm. You know, when a, a, a male doctor walks into the room, she's, hey, how are you? You know, she she loves it. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, a lot of her support network um, is, is a caregivers and her family and an extended family through her caregivers to start out with. But every time we're in the community, her caregivers are trained to say, you know, hey, this is Bridget. You know, do you want to do you want to introduce yourself to her? We don't shy away from that, and she'll tell you yes or no whether she wants to interact. Right. She's like, ah, you know, it's like okay, well, she doesn't want to say hi right now. That's okay. Right. Right. So we 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 try uh, to get to introduce Bridget to as many people as possible. But I would say that Bridget is kind of. Uh, an extroverted introvert or whatever, however that comes out, because she'll be extroverted and want to, you know, be around people and engage. But when it comes time where she's like, okay, I'm done, then she's done. Then, then she, it's yeah. get away from me. I just want to do my own thing right <laughs> There's now. There's no talking her out of it. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. She'll... I, I, I met her. So I remember seeing both sides that you're referring to. Um, one of the things that I think that you kind of touched on was, you know, Bridget's communication mm -hmm. even though she may not be verbally communicating she's communicating somehow and so i think that that becomes really important because so many times we will make the assumption that if they're not verbalizing their communication then they're just not talking at all and that's so not true mm -hmm. they 
That's so not true. Um, if we can learn how to pick up on what they are communicating, because they are, it's just up to us to try to figure that, that out. And then also on top of that, as we take people out into the community as a community, learn to engage with that person by asking, how does Bridget communicate? Mm. What does it mean when Bridget, if Bridget is scratching her hand or whatever? Um, and just not being shy because you said when you asked the people in the pool, they were happy to. Mm -hmm. And we had the same exact experience with Colby's team. I was nervous. Colby wasn't nervous, but I was nervous going forward because in my mind, I felt like it was such a huge ask of these people who owe us nothing, mm -hmm. right? We just wanted to ask and see if they would every single one of them easily and immediately. Well, sure, of course. We, and some of them even said, we would be honored, you know, and that was me not giving them credit mm -hmm. for wanting to be involved. I mistakenly, I think, made the assumption they might not want to be involved when I wasn't true at all. It's kind of like getting out of, out of your own way a little bit. Yeah. So sometimes I'll get in my head and it's like, oh, I'm getting too overwhelmed by this. It's not going to work out. And it's like, I'm just going to try it. Mm -hmm. And then it works. And I'm like, what was I, th why did what I was, waste Yeah, what was time? the holdback? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I like how you said going out in the community and um, actually uh, I know that uh, you've been at the Exable Center before with mm -hmm. a, a group of individuals that are out and about and enjoying the day and Bridget's been to the Exable Center before as well. Cool. Um, so she'll join uh, Lorenzo Brown, Mr. Brown runs a, a great program there uh in birmingham i don't know if it's homewood or birmingham but homewood, homewood mm -hmm. yeah um and so we've he, got some people there today from arc with him. he runs a life skills program and, a, and a, a bunch of other programs there out of the Isable center so these opportunities she she really loves being around kids though is what we try and do the most so she loves being around you know i would say seven six to ten maybe and so we'll try and increase that percentage on her community outings. We've gotten a little bit of feedback, uh, pushback, because we were like, well, let's go into the schools. Yeah, that's what I was immediately thinking. They won't allow it. Oh. Um, so it's somebody that, you know, for whatever reason, they won't allow it. So then it's like, well, do we do church Bible, Bible study? BBS. Groups? Yes, uh, during the summer, that kind of stuff. So we're looking into that. Um, but we, you know, I don't understand why she couldn't go into a fourth or fifth grade classroom when they have reading time once a week, uh, or play time or something like that and engage. Well, she probably could. So on the, the school you talk to. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody has any good connections there, um, you know, I'd appreciate it in the chat of, of maybe giving us an introduction. Cause that's something that we're actively looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to try to get some of these resources listed in the comments mm -hmm. going forward. So. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. This is the first time. I've been more nervous today between before like all my other really? interviews because I'm the one that's Because it's on being, you now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't get to ask a question. I got to answer. So, uh, but I appreciate you I having think. me on. Um, and if there's any questions, you know, in the future, we'll, we'll bring it up and maybe do another broadcast on them. Absolutely. Something like that. So, uh, Mrs. Spangler, thank you for interviewing me thank and having you. me on. Colby, Mr. Spangler, I appreciate everything that you've done today. And I look forward to the next broadcast that you guys do. So. Sounds like a plan. All right. At this point, we'll go ahead and end the broadcast. And we'll see you guys next time.